Welcome back. I'm Peter Wood, and I'm the author of Mud Between Your Toes, a Rhodesian farm, which is a memoir about my life growing up in Zimbabwe, or formerly Rhodesia, in the 1960s and 70s. This is a podcast about family, independence, loss, and above all, identity. Hello, and welcome back to Conversations with Pete Wood. Today, I'm chatting to my lovely cousin, Lindy Hensman, in South Africa. Lindy has led a fascinating life, which I want to share with you now. So, Lindy Hensman, welcome to Conversations. Hi, Pete. Um, um, Good morning from a beautiful Midlands day in KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa. (laughs) Fantastic. Lindy... I became very close to you when we were at high school. I was at Prince Edward. You were at Queen Elizabeth. This is in uh, Zimbabwe. But your former years were spent in Angola. Now, this must have been in the early 70s. Tell me, how did your family end up in Angola? Uh, Pete, my my father was in tobacco, so several tobacco uh, farmers went up to Angola to teach the Portuguese not how to grow tobacco, but to to do it properly. And um, so we ended up, first of all, going to Lubito, and then we moved to Benguela, the uh, port town of Benguela. And um, yeah, we went to German school there. We were boarding there. So that's how it all began in the early 70s. It always seemed to be a country in turmoil. When we spoke about darkest Africa, Angola was Mm. one country that always sprang to mind. And I suppose it still is. But um, was it always like that? Because they say Beirut was the Paris of the Middle East and Luanda was the Beirut of Africa. Absolutely. I mean, Luanda. Luanda was one of the fastest growing cities at the time in, in its heyday and the most beautiful city, uh, just stunning. And, um, and as in your conversations about Mozambique, they really were the, the, the life in Africa. And of course, with the all continental Portuguese sort of um, influence there and the lovely food and the wine and a great joie de vivre. So uh, we had an amazing life, uh, absolutely fantastic, until, of course, uh, the political turmoil took over. We had to flee within um, 48 uh, hours. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we seem to have a little bit of interference on the line, but uh, there's nothing we can do about that. Um, Of course, years of conflict and mismanagement resulted in it becoming now the most expensive city in the world to live as an expat. In fact, the writer Paul Theroux wrote a book, Last Train to Zona Verde, and he gives a terribly bitter account of Angola. It's, It's actually rather a depressing read. Mind you, three of the men he befriends en route are killed. One is bludgeoned to death by robbers, another is crushed by an elephant, while the last one suffers a heart attack while swimming, and his credit card is cloned in Namibia and he's defrauded of thousands of dollars. Anyway, I'll sort of going on a bit, but he talks about filthy buses and cars in which he travels, and then invariably crammed with humans, chickens, goats, and break down continually whilst being driven along disintegrating roads by drunks and maniacs. 
I don't think it was like that when you lived there, was it? No, not at all, Pete. It was, it was the opposite. And I'm sorry I wasn't older to enjoy it as an adult because it really, I mean, Angola had it all from deserts to subtropical rainforests to the ocean. And of course, we're on the Atlantic. So um, it was, we had the cold Bengala currents. So as children, we used to swim in the sea. That's where I learned to swim. And of course, we didn't have to fear the sharks as you do on the Indian side of Africa. So we, we had an, a, a childhood that I'll never forget. But unfortunately, when I was 13, it was taken away from us. It, yeah. You came away from it being trilingual. You spoke German because of the German international school, Portuguese because it was a Portuguese colony. And thirdly, probably very last, uh, you know, very much a third was English. I mean, was English your first language? Um, no, we, we, well, English we spoke a little, obviously, but because we were at a German school and then when we were at home, we, we had Amelia, she was a French nanny from Paris, so she spoke Portuguese with us, so we children, we, we were mainly speaking Portuguese and German, because of course most of the time we're at boarding school anyway, um, so... But English, when we eventually had to leave, we went on to Rhodesia, to in Rhodesia at the time, and we, we, none of us really spoke English properly well enough to go to school. So, um, yes, but now I don't speak any language well, either oh. any of the languages. <laughs> I, I, doubt, um, yes, so. I doubt that very much because... In my podcast about Byra, you did a very good uh, prostitute when I needed the I needed a Portuguese prostitute, and you did it absolutely perfectly. Thank you very much. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. Thank you. <laughs> so, Lindy, the Portuguese left in 1975 after 500 years. Inevitably, your family got caught up in the flight from Angola. And you fled across the bridge. You quite literally fled across the bridge to Namibia. Can you tell us that story? Yes. Um, by, uh, at, the, at the time of us having to leave Angola, my parents uh, ended up farming tobacco on the Kwan south of the Kwanzaa River. In, in the province of Kwanzaa, which was about 800 kilometers away from the school in Bengala. So we only ever went home for the school holidays. So um, we were given in July 1975, we were given 48 hours to leave the country. And it's, it's, it's one of the largest countries in Africa. Um, so my parents literally and sadly put the dogs and cats down, bar one of our black Labradors, um, Pedro, and they, they didn't even bother to, to lock doors. We had a Pandaga house. We never had a proper house. The Pandaga house was simply the nicest thing we've ever had. And we, walked, we literally drove away because 800 kilometers, they didn't have time to waste. They came to Bengala to pick the four of us up um, 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 my two sisters and mother, and we got cracking and drove through the night and got to the border at about seven in the morning the following day. 
and and we were there for most of the day with all the expatriates fleeing the country they were searching vehicles uh one of the things that people were taking out were diamonds so i mean they literally stripped both our vehicles to nothing my baby sister Debra, she was four at the time and she had malaria she was very sick with malaria so it was quite a traumatic time and then when we eventually got clearance to go through the border we got to the angolan side the sort of boom and the swapo terrorists were there and they were in they were together with the mpla troops manning that border post and i mean they gave my mum such a hard time they told her to get out the car and short of shooting her um my father was in the land rover with sean and i and my mum was in the in the peugeot behind us with Deborah and Julie, who were very young then, and my father said, you know, if they shoot mummy, um, uh, Lindy, you drive, you drive the Peugeot and we'll just crash through the border. <laughs> so that was our exit. My mum was safely allowed back into the car and we exited Angola. At the time, we had no idea the ramifications of all that and, and our life in, you know, our future thanks to that. So that was our us fleeing Angola. You said it was very touch and go because the South African troops were on the other side of the bridge watching the whole thing unfold. Um, and apparently one of you kids, the, the, the soldiers, the Angolan soldiers were trying to converse with you in English, not realizing that you all spoke fluent Portuguese. And one of you, the kids, spoke to each other in Portuguese, and they found out, didn't they, that you could speak Portuguese, and that Correct. caused a bit of a... A bit of a... For all. No, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, that situation, you, you, it is absolutely terrifying, but in a way you don't realise the severity of it. Um, yeah, abs you're absolutely right. And the, and the South African immigration uh, chaps were standing on the other side and we could see them. And um, and by the time we'd managed to get over across to them, they said, look, uh, we realized you were in trouble, but unfortunately, we would never have been able to come to your rescue. So it's a good thing you did. Yeah, just keep your calm and 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 proceed. Uh, yes, no, absolutely right. Yeah, they hauled my mum out. It was her that they picked on. Um, and fortunately, she's very, very sensible and she was very calm. Um, so, no, she, they did haul her out and we were very worried they would have shot her. Um, you know, in a situation like that, it's, it's just so unpredictable. You don't know what way they're going to go. It's a very complicated political situation. I mean, there's the MPLA, the FNLA, there's UNITA. I don't know who the good guys are or who the bad guys are. I mean, who, who were the different factions? Do you remember? Uh, yes, FNLA were backed, French, were backed by Mobutu in Zaire. 
they were sort of on the periphery of of, of sort of decisions and and happenings. They were sort of in the middle, and then of course you got MPLA backed by the Russians. Well, the Cubans. They were Cuban soldiers. MPLA uh, backed by the Russians, the Cubans, and then of course um, UNITA. I, I stand corrected, but um, uh, weren't they? I don't, were they backed by? I know that the South Africans helped them. I'd hate to be quoted on this. And China, yeah. wasn't it China? So, I mean, you know, it, it, not that it's really done them any good. I mean, they've, uh, they then plunged straight into another civil war, which went on until 2002. Anyway, uh, but yeah. let's not talk about that. Um, now, you, you make it to relatively calm, uh, well, a relatively calm uh, Rhodesia, which, of course, was also in civil war. I mean, you certainly pick the countries. Um, and that's when you and I became very good friends. Now, Lindy, I have about five or six letters you wrote to me in 1979. I kept them. They've been in my diaries all this time. And up until yesterday, I hadn't read them again. I mean, they're very long letters, at least five pages each in in very much a Jane Austen style. They were very sort of old fashioned, but very funny in parts. And I think it's safe to say I had a teen crush on you. I'm going to read a couple of sections. Okay, so bear with me. Um, so this one, I mean, either, either you were very naive or extremely perceptive, but this part, this, le this letter here, it talks about, you're talking about Talking about the village people, I suspect you wholly belong to the song YMCA. I guess you know what it stands for, Young Man's Christian Association in capital letters. Yes, I'm sure of that. That's what it stands for. And I'm thinking to myself yesterday when I'm reading that, well, Lindy, I do know what the song stands for, come to think of it, but it was nothing to do with a young man's Christian association. Believe you me. Um, as you know, kids can be very cruel. And that year, it was 1979, actually, that year, three very prominent bullies decided to spread the false rumor, I might add, that I was, yeah. a, pot, that I was a pothead and that I smoked dope. Um, I'd never smoked a joint in my life at that stage. But, you know, yeah. as you know, shit sticks and the word soon got around. Mm -hmm. And this led to me being dropped from the Salou House cross country team, despite me yeah. being one of the top, if not the top runner that year. Yeah. Um, having tried to argue my case to the head of house. Um, anyway, my diary on the 11th of February 1979 says the following. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. They just don't believe me. Spike told me that Drake's has had my name removed from the team. He asks if it, uh, Spike asked if it was a mistake, and Drake says, oh, Wood is just a waste of white skin. He smokes no. weed. Oh. Oh. Drake's opinion means little Talk. to me, but it is the people he's spreading this rumor to that's causing the damage, and they believe him. God, I could kill mm -hmm. him. Anyway, yes. Lindy, your letters during this period, and it was a very sort of uh, trying period for me, your letters to yeah. me during that period were a great comfort. Uh, my dad, believe it or not, was also very good. Um, 
you know, he, he's not a great demonstrative person, but he phoned yeah. me. I think yeah. the only time he ever did phone me uh-huh. and, and, told, and told me never to give in to those little cowards and to remind uh-huh. them that, that accusing people of taking drugs is a criminal offence. Uh-huh. And, and, and your letter says, you'll most probably feel that the whole hostel is against you, but they'll soon respect you if you hold your own and remain true to yourself. It takes a man, not a coward, to stand up for yourself. This is so important in life, especially from a man's point of view. It won't be easy, and I wouldn't want to be in your shoes, but you are a very special friend, and I'll do all I can to help you. Um, so thank you for that. You know, you know I'm, I'm saying 40, 40, 50 years later, I'm saying thank you so much. Uh, you moved back to Rhodesia, and later you married Rory Hansman. Um, yeah. and lived in Chinoy, um, and it was there that the whole elephant thing began. Can you tell us how it started um, and how you got your first elephant and, and what happened from there? Yes, um, I, as, as you as that I, I married Rory Hensman. I was on in Chinoy on the Rafangora Road, and I was with my with family on a farm, a couple of uh, farms down, uh, Montgomery Estate. And uh, uh, Rory came for tea and he said, would you like to meet an elephant? Come over for tea and meet my elephant. And I said, I'd love to. Of course, I loved wildlife. You know, my dad's influence more than anyone. And um, that's how the story began in November 1991. Um, so we went over for tea and the rest is history. I, I met these two little elephants. They were very young at the time, Jumbo and Mazzelli. And, uh, and then eventually we decided to get married in uh, 1993, November 93, a year later. And I actually rode in on Miss Ellie um, into the garden where our wedding was taking place in the beautiful garden and the aisle up to the to the sort of altar under a lovely jacaranda tree were rose petals so um so miss ellie loved that she loved the the you know the idea of being able to suck up all the rose petals that was her treat for the day I recall that she used she would put her trunk back and try to smell you, and you had this beautiful gown on, and uh, she would sort of put these big snotty splodge marks on your wedding dress. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that wedding dress came from Sydney, funnily enough. Uh, a very dear friend lent it to me, and it was quite um, appropriate for me riding in on an elephant in that outfit. I had to ride side saddle, might I add, and it's very different riding side saddle on an elephant than it is on a horse. I rode side saddle, um, and and the headpiece was, it was quite uncanny. It was a beautiful silk turban, half turban, with uh, pearls very sort of Indian in a way, and, and it, it fitted the, the sort of theme of, of the elephant, riding in on the elephant. So that was really, years later, I suddenly realised that's quite uncanny. It was all meant to be. So, you know, thank you to my dear friend, uh, Liz Roberts, who lent me the outfit, which was super. So that was really very special. <laughs> 
these were orphan elephants, weren't they? And they became very much family. In fact, I think it's uh, it's safe to say that you are an elephant whisperer. It's something that you just took naturally to, and the elephants seem to just listen to you. Is there, can you tell us more about that? Um, Pete, uh, yes. Well, well you know, um, the elephant, all animals, I love all animals. And um, Jumbo and Miss Ellie were the original two elephant that Rory got um, as orphans. And we've carried on throughout our time now to taking on only orphaned elephants that might have been culled or they, their mothers have been poached. So Jumbo and Miss Ellie were the first ones. And then we just grew from there. And um, being on the farm with all the all the polo ponies and and I would have kudu in the garden and I'll be bottle feeding a warthog and Hoggles the warthog would shower with me. And, you know, we had all these animals and it was my life. Uh, it, it became my life. And um, yeah, so the elephant uh, are very, very important, uh, you know, played a very important part. And, and of course, then in 1970, in 1995, um, I, I've adopted Rory's three children when we got married, but I've never had my own children. So um, Dandy, uh, a calf that came in, um, rescued, her mother was poached, and Dandy came into my life in, in October 95. She was under three months old, so I bottle fed her for two years, and, and that became my sort of the, the baby I never had, and uh, we were inseparable. So the elephant, yes, have, have you know, they, they are my life. How many ha did elephants did you have in the end? Uh, Pete, we've, you know, I've lost count now, really, uh, Zimbabwe and South Africa. The, the first crowd, the, the first herd that... Um, were, you know, when we went up uh, commercial doing um, elephant back safaris, I think we were the sort of pioneers in that in a big way, in a sort of commercial way. Uh, they went up to Victoria Falls and they're still there. Um, that was seven of them, eight. And then, yeah, I've, I've lost count actually. And then 12, the ones that were still on the farm, 12 of those we took down. Um, we brought down to South Africa when we had to leave our farm in 2002. So, um, but yeah, having all of these elephants uh, that are actually from different families, is it easy to bring a, a new calf into the fold? I mean, elephants have temperaments just like human beings. So there must have been, you know, problems at st some stage or did did you have one matriarch that always took the youngsters under its trunk as it were yes we obviously we had families coming in um herds coming in from different areas of zimbabwe but strangely enough in our in once they come into our care we sort of Take the take over the role as the matriarch, so to speak. So they soon um, respect that, and this when we're sort of dominant over them in a, in a kind way, obviously. Uh, so that's how, and and we've never never had a problem with um, 
I think they were all in the same boat once they were in our care. So they were all happy and we never really had a problem. And, and it was, and what was nice is that the ones that we had, if we had a new herd coming in, the, the ones that were already there were able to communicate and say that these, this is what happens, these are the rules, you'll always have a meal every day and you'll be cared for. So the, in, the introduction of a new herd coming in, I think they played a huge role in communicating with each other and saying it's okay, you know, you'll be safe here. And I think that was, that was great. I do think that helped enormously. And in many ways, so you were the matriarch. I mean, I, I've, I remember seeing you literally sitting between the legs of this huge elephant. I mean, they completely and absolutely trusted you and you completely trusted them. Uh, you you know it's it's um it's like a dog or a horse any animal you build up a, a relationship you build and then you form special bonds with one of them and not the other and and really it's it's and it's all of us it's not only me it was Rory and the grooms and um and you've got to you want to be with them they they need to know that and uh, once once they know they can trust you and you really love them they they they'll do anything for you they they'll you know protect you and just love you even more than what you love them so it's 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 really the effort you put into it i think is 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 what you get out of it in the end and they'll give you tenfold so then the real tragedy happened in 2002. You were thrown off the farm by Mugabe's lot. Um, you know, trying to distribute elephants um, is not like dropping a dog off at the SPCA. I mean, what on earth did you have to do? Yes. Uh, we had 12 elephants at the time on the farm. Uh, we were invaded in April 2000. So we had them on the farm for those two years, and throughout that time, it was it became more and more untenable. They would stop us from feeding our elephant on our farm, so we used to have to herd them over to my brother-in-law's farm, Gary Hensman's farm across the way, and he would allow them to feed on his farm, and then they plowed the, the barn grass in and all. So anyway, come the in 2002, March 2002, we had to now uh, move them to South Africa. We had a, a base in South Africa, a game reserve in, in Popo province, in Hootspray. So um, long story short, we uh, you load them as you do when you translocating elephants in those big shipping containers. So a South African com company came up. We loaded them. And they were ready to leave at about nine that night and they drove through the night. We were behind them to the bike bridge border post, but managed to, our clearing agent managed to pre-clear them. So they got to bike bridge and they went straight through. And then the clearing agent on the South African side was a very dear friend of ours and she managed to get them through. So there was very little um stoppage at the border to for the elephant we we were obviously we were behind them 
um, so we're delayed a little bit. But uh, transporting elephant like that, once they're in the container, they're very calm and um, and you just keep going. Every now and then you stop to give them water and, and feed them, but otherwise they're very uh, understanding. And we got to the <coughs> game reserve, yeah. Linda, you, you couldn't keep all of them together, could you? I mean, w one or two went up to Victoria Falls, you said. Yeah, well, whilst we're still in some, the, the herd, the our original herd, they went, they were already in Victoria Falls. So the remaining herd on Brayside were the ones that we then brought down to South Africa. And um, so so it was fine. You know, the herds were not split. No, not split. Oh, they were all together, which was great. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you came to my 50th birthday in Victoria Falls a few years ago, mm -hmm. and yes. you went to see one of the elephants. Was it was it Tembo? Is that what uh, was that his name? I mean, tell us about that experience because you yes. hadn't seen this elephant for years, had you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that was in 2012 for our 50th, and I made arrangements to go and visit that herd at World Horizons, they they had the herd there. And it was our original um, elephant, Jumbo and Maselli, and then Jock, who was one of my favorites, but you can't have favorites. So no, as I arrived, they, they called them in, uh, but they hadn't seen me uh, and uh, they hadn't smelt me. I was around the corner uh, on the uh, at the reception area. Uh, but I just called them out. I called Jumbo. Uh, and then I walked up to Jumbo first. I said hello to Jumbo. Uh, and then Jock walked up to me and one of the grooms was standing with me. And then suddenly, I think they must have... I hadn't seen them for 10 years. And suddenly they, they, they must have thought, hang on, I know her, I know this person. And the rumble, and they just, the two of them just came very close to me and they just rumbled. Honestly, that rumbling, I felt they were going to, that rumble alone was gonna lift me off the ground. It was, it was so moving and so powerful. Um, I'll never forget that day. But out of the corner of my eye, on the right, on my, to the right of me, on the corner of my eye, there was another elephant, a, a cow, with two calves at foot. And I kept looking at her, and I thought, and I said to the groom, um, I said, who's that? And he said, oh, it's Emily. And I said, oh my goodness. So I went over to say hello to Emily. But what she, I think what she was trying to do, she obviously re realized who it was. And what I think to tell me, lovely to see you, but, but look, I've had two babies since the last saw you and here are my children. And, and that was, yeah, that was very special. I'll never forget that. And I, and I couldn't wait to, to phone Rory, who was in South Africa. He didn't come up with me. I couldn't wait to phone Rory and tell him, you're not going to believe it, but they remembered, they remembered 10 years on. Yeah. I mean, and they don't forget, they really don't forget. So, Rory died, your husband Rory died very young, I think. Um, and there again, there was another elephant story involved with that. Can you tell yes. us? Mm. Rory died uh, tragically 
of a of a nasty brain tumor, brain cancer in in February 2013, and um, there are two amazing stories I'd like to to tell you. Um, Rory saw the elephant. These are the ones in Bella Bella outside Pretoria, where we were living. Rory, I took Rory to see the elephant and, and uh, Mike and Sean, our two sons, were with us. And um, Rory said, I want to see my elephant. So we took him down. He was on oxygen in a wheelchair by then. So the one he had a very special bond with was Chorva. Chorva uh, and then and Chishuro, the other bull, and they came up to him and they they knew, they knew he was not well. Um, that was very moving, very, very moving. And then Rory said, I'd like to go home now. And that morning at about half past one in the morning, he, he eventually passed away. So I feel that the... Um, the last moment in Rory's cognitive life was that interaction with the elephant. By the time we got home, he was going into a semi-coma. So uh, to me, that is so powerful that the last communication he had in his life was with those elephants. And at seven o'clock every morning, we the grooms go to the stables and let the elephant out for the day and they do go about their their, their business um so at seven o'clock we phoned our chaps and bella bella and said look rory has passed away so so our grooms phoned the grooms in hoodsprate to tell them that rory had passed away so joshua in hoodsprate said oh now I know why the elephant have been in a in a in a strange mood. They're behaving like never before. So Joshua said, "Well, now I know why. These elephant in Hutsprate, as the crow flies many hours away, seven eight hours away, they those elephant knew when Rory passed that Rory had passed away in the early hours of the morning, long before those grooms got there at seven o'clock, and we when they were told Rory had died. So how extraordinary is that? That that just you know you, I mean the story of an elephant goes on, doesn't it? It they they're beyond extraordinary. So exactly. that was very special. And then of course the funeral. And to end it all, Pete, sorry, um, uh, we had Rory's funeral at the Elephant. There was no Anglican church in Bella Bella. So we got a pastor to come out to the Elephant, to the farm. And we had uh, the the funeral out in the open and the Elephant stood beside his coffin. Um, you know, they were with us throughout the whole, whole um, proceeding. So what a wonderful... Um, Cheerio, um, send off for Rory to to have the elephant with him. So that was, you know, you couldn't ask for more. Um, I, I want to finish this off before we lose reception completely. But uh, you're still working yeah. with wildlife, aren't you? Well, I'm uh, I'm obviously still involved with both operations, uh, the one in Hazy View and Bella Bella, um, but on uh, not so much not on the management side or anything. But they are still my children. Um, I'm involved with them as a silent partner at the moment. I am living in Natal, so I'm away from them. I miss them terribly. Uh, you know, they are my 
them are my life. So I do try and get to see them. So um, no, I, I really miss that part of not waking up to them and walking with them every day, um, just talking to them and interacting. So at the moment, um, I'm away from them, but still very much involved. They, they are my priority and care. They're under my care, <laughs> so to speak, at a distance. And obviously poaching is a huge issue around um, in Africa. Um, and I think it if it weren't for people like you, elephants would be far worse off so keep up the good work. Is anyone, um, has anyone taken over uh, your role in the sidelines? Is there a new matriarch? Uh, Pete, I wouldn't know about that. I, I, you know, I, I'm sort of my own person with all those elephants, but obviously, um, you know, my, my son, stepson, Sean, he's running the Bella Bella operation and he and his team are absolutely fantastic. And they, you know, they, they are the patriarch. I suppose he's the patriarch uh, for that, for that herd. And then of course, in Hazy View, my brother, Sean works in Hazy View with those elephants. So he's there and we have an amazing um, team in both operations who love the elephant and all our elephant, I might add, have either come from cows or would have been poached. Um, they would have, um, their parents were poached or they would have, um, died a natural death. So we've adopted, the elephant that we have are all adopted and we, we you know, they, they, we love them and they love us. And um, we, you know, we, we just must carry on and be their guardians for the, the rest of their living days, not for the rest of our living days. So Sean and Andre, they will be training up um, people to take over for the future because of course the elephant lived to about 60 65 years so so we need someone for all those years until they die are these places private or can people go and visit is there a website people can go to find out about it or is this simply a yeah. very private affair no uh, we uh, the Bella Bella operation outside Pretoria. It's not so tourism orientated, but um, we we focus on on research. We get um, students, adults, you name it, from all over the world, making use of the elephant, which is fantastic. So we've we've had quite a few scientific papers being published. So that's a very important part of our education, the education of wildlife, education of elephant, the preservation of wildlife in general, whereas um, Hazy View is, uh, both operations are open to the public, of course, but Hazy View is more tourism-based, in fact, 99% tourism-based, so they're quite busy doing tourism, the tourism side of things, um, but we are, and um, the operation in Hazy View is called Elephant Whispers, and the one in Bella Bella, where Sean is, is Adventures with Elephants, and they're both on the thing. At the moment, with this coronavirus, um, we obviously had to, we don't have tourism anymore, but we are carrying on, and Sean and Andre, both operations are very um, sort of instrumental in trying to, proactive in trying to get sort of, uh, you know, sort of try and get support from the outside world. and But no, but we, we're okay at the moment and, and they're well taken care of. Um, we'll never, ever 
let them down ever. Lindy, uh, thanks so much. We've run out of time. Um, that was a really inspiring story. Thanks for sharing with it with us. Um, and, uh, you know, look, I'm going to publish the website um, on my site. And, um, you know, I hope uh, things go keep going upwards. So thanks so much for joining me on Conversations with Pete Wood. Lovely, Pete. Lovely to chat and sending you lots of love from Africa. Okay. <laughs> That was my wonderful elephant whisperer cousin, Lindy Hansman, speaking to me from Natal, South Africa, on a very unstable phone line. If you're interested to find out more about what they do with elephant conservation, you can go to adventureswithelephants.com, where you can even donate money to help feed the jumbos and elephantwhispers.co.za, where you can even interact with the animals, certainly a lifetime experience. Well, that's about it. Thank you so much for listening to me, and remember, you can tune into my new episodes of Mud Between Your Toes via iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Blueberry, and Pocket Casts. Don't forget, you can always buy a copy of my book on both Amazon and Kindle. And I also welcome comments by email on mudbetweenyourtoes at gmail.com. If you want to get involved and you have a good story to tell about those years in Rhodesia, and if you're brave enough to be interviewed for Mud Between Your Toes, feel free to write to me. Goodbye.